Today's episode is brought to you by the Ting Cell Phone Service Company. Please visit best.ting.com for a $25 service credit or device discount. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. Welcome today from Citizen Radio, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Progressive, The Young Turks, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Tom Harbin Program, and Comedian Lee Camp. And a note of warning today that if you stand in front of a mirror and repeat the names of any of the Guantanamo detainees 10 times, then they'll appear and escape because they're magic. We never give the New York Times props on this show because they're terrible. Yeah. But they finally did something good. Yay. Um, they had a really, really powerful op-ed that they published um, yesterday from Samir Naji Al-Hassan Mokbel, uh, who is currently a prisoner at Guantanamo. Yep. And I wanted to read a little bit from it because it is just so powerful, but I highly recommend everybody go read it in full. Um, so there have been forced raids at Guantanamo uh, this week. Uh, at times, the uh, raiding forces were battling with detainees to systematically empty communal cell blocks in an effort to end this um, hunger strike that we've been talking about on the show and uh, protests. And at times it got very violent. Um, non-lethal rounds were fired, uh, according to the Miami Herald. So it's not only a really powerful op-ed, it's coming at a really powerful time because the hunger strike's been going on for a while now. I think it's like 45 prisoners are currently participating in it, 13 are being force-fed, which uh, is considered a form of torture by many. Um so this is uh, Samir's op-ed. One man here weighs just 77 pounds, another 98. Last thing I knew, I weighed 132, but that was a month ago. I've been on a hunger strike since February 10th and have lost well over 30 pounds. I will not eat until they restore my dignity. I've been detained at Guantanamo for 11 years and three months. I have never been charged with any crime. I have never received a trial. I could have been home years ago. No one seriously thinks I am a threat, but still I am here. Years ago, the military said I was a, quote, guard for Osama bin Laden, but this was nonsense, like something out of the American movies I used to watch. They don't even seem to believe it anymore, but they don't seem to care how long I sit here either. When I was at home in Yemen in 2000, a childhood friend told me that in Afghanistan, I could do better than the $50 a month I earned in a factory and support my family. I'd never really traveled and knew nothing about Afghanistan, but I gave it a try. I was wrong to trust him. There was no work. I wanted to leave, but had no money to fly home. After the American invasion in 2001, I fled to Pakistan like everyone else. The Pakistanis arrested me when I asked to see someone from the Yemeni embassy. I was then sent to Kandahar and put on the first plane to Gitmo. Last month on March 15th, I was sick in the prison hospital and refused to be fed. A team from the ERF, the Extreme Reaction Force, a squad of eight military officers in riot gear burst in. They tied my hands and feet to the bed. They forcibly inserted an IV into my hand. I spent 26 hours in this state tied to the bed. During this time, I was not permitted to go to the toilet. They inserted a catheter, which was painful, degrading, and unnecessary. I was not even permitted to pray. I will never forget the first time they passed the feeding tube up my nose. I can't describe how painful it is to be force-fed this way. As it was thrust in, it made me feel like throwing up. I wanted to vomit, but I couldn't. 
There was agony in my chest, throat, and stomach. I had never experienced such pain before. I would not wish this cruel punishment upon anyone. I am still being force-fed. Two times a day, they tie me to a chair in my cell. My arms, legs, and head are strapped down. I never know when they will come. Sometimes they come during the night, as late as 11 p.m., when I'm sleeping. Um, so I'll link to the full article. And again, I really recommend everybody read it in its entirety. Um, but I also wanted to just highlight the fact that I love that he calls President Obama out yeah. on this. He says, quote, the only reason I am still here is that President Obama refuses to send any detainees back to Yemen. This makes no sense. I am a human being, not a passport, and I deserve to be treated like one. I do not want to die here, but until President Obama and Yemen's president do something, that is what I risk every day. Um, so obviously, to- really, really powerful. Kudos to the New York Times for publishing it, because this is what they should do all the time. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this is the job of good journalism, right? It's like represent people who don't have a voice. Right. Uh, Glenn Greenwald takes Obama to task even further in his article at The Guardian. I mean, this was one of his sort of like no-brainers progressive things that he was going to do when he wanted to get elected was close Guantanamo. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> Greenwald writes, Obama sought not to close Guantanamo, but simply to relocate it to Illinois. And in doing so, to preserve what makes it such a travesty of justice, its system of indefinite detention. Um, and then he goes on, but Obama's responsibility for the Guantanamo disgrace extends beyond that. Bell, the author of this op-ed, is Yemeni. More than half of the remaining 166 detainees at the camp are Yemeni. Dozens of those Yemenis, along with dozens of other detainees, have long ago been cleared for release by the U.S. government on the ground that there is no evidence to believe that they are a threat to anyone. A total of 87 of the remaining detainees Detainees, roughly half, have been cleared for release, of which 58 are Yemeni. Not even the U.S. government at this point claims they are guilty or pose a threat to anyone. Jesus Christ. So when you couple that amazing fact with the heartbreaking narrative uh, written by uh, Mark Bell, it's... I mean, how could anyone claim that this is doing any good, not violating human rights? And this is sort of the shitstorm you get yourself into when your foreign policy is predicated on uh, illegal actions, right? When you just start sweeping a bunch of people up randomly or in the case of Iraq, offering rewards to poor neighborhoods for terrorists – uh, locking up 16-year-old kids who throw stones justifiably when you're invading their land. And then they've been in jail for six years, 10 years, 15 years, being tortured. And then you go, okay, well, uh, we have a new president now. He's a Democrat. He wants to let you all out because this is a, a horrible, uh, illegal place that incorporates torture it's one of the places in the world that is making the entire middle east mad at america it symbolizes everything wrong we are doing and then you go well you can't really let them out because when you let them out they're going to be really pissed off justifiably and then what the fuck are you going to do and that's the problem there is no longer a requirement to present evidence in a trial that they are in any way a threat to the United States homeland security. Yeah. You can literally just say, 
well, they'll join the battlefield and just speculate. And that suddenly condemns these men to death in mm-hmm. prison. Um, no evidence, no trial. They lock them away to die. If this ever happens to me, by the way, can I opt to be killed by a drone instead of locked in Guantanamo? If you're gonna... If I'm gonna be illegally... Uh, let's, say, let's say both are bad. I'll take your fucking insta-sky robot death over fucking 16 years of having tube shoved in my face, please. It is inefficient. It uh, hurts us in terms of our international standing. It lessens cooperation with our allies on counterterrorism efforts. It is a recruitment tool for extremists. It needs to be closed. Now, uh, Congress uh, determined that they would not let us close it. Our president is not the most emotive guy in the world, uh, but I think that qualifies as exasperated Obama, or at least frustrated Obama, even if you just define frustrated in the technical sense, as in the president being frustrated from doing something that he wants to do. For frame of reference here, consider Iran. Consider Iran circa 1985, okay? Our relationship with Iran in 1985 was very, very bad. It was even worse than it is now, I think. At that time, we were only a few years out from the hostage crisis in Tehran, where 52 Americans were held hostage for more than a year at the U.S. Embassy. We were still embroiled in another ongoing hostage crisis, where Iran was supporting the kidnapping of a lot of different Americans and other foreigners in Lebanon. The people held hostage in Lebanon included professors and aid workers and a university president and even the CIA station chief. Iran was involved then also in the Iran-Iraq war, and we had kind of taken Iraq's side in that war. In 1984, we had declared officially that Iran was a state sponsor of terrorism. So between us and Iran, circa 1985, things were really bad. I mean, I know things are bad now between us and Iran, but things were really bad back then. But in the middle of all that, the President of the United States decided that he would secretly sell them a bunch of missiles. Secretly shipping weapons to Iran illegally. I mean, we are the great Satan to them, and they are the great Satan to us. And the president is secretly sending them missiles? Yes, that happened. And that is why Ronald Reagan is not going to be on Rushmore, you guys. I mean, that and some other stuff. But honestly, Ronald Reagan, as president, illegally sold missiles to a state sponsor of terrorism. In secret. And at the same time, Congress had passed a law saying that he could not spend any money to wage a war that he wanted to have in Central America. Ronald Reagan really, really wanted to overthrow the government in Nicaragua. Congress knew that he wanted to, and they said no. They passed a law saying he could not do that, and he did it anyway. Since he couldn't get any legal money to do it, he used the illegal cash that he'd stashed away from illegally selling those missiles to Iran. I mean, it was just astonishingly illegal. 
And when it all came out, even people who otherwise kind of dug Ronald Reagan were frankly horrified. The congressional investigation into what happened was considered to be fairly stacked in Reagan's favor, but when it came out, it was scathing. The big bipartisan congressional investigation into what he did said that uh, the Reagan administration had undermined a cardinal principle of the Constitution. They had undermined the Constitution's most significant check on executive power. The congressional investigation said that Reagan administration officials, quote, viewed the law not as setting boundaries for their actions, but as raising impediments to their goals. And when the goals and the law collided, it was the law that gave way. Just a scathing conclusion that this kind of law-breaking by an American president was outrageous. It was a bipartisan consensus. It was almost a bipartisan consensus. There was a dissent filed, a minority report that said actually everything Ronald Reagan did here was fine. Uh, it was authored by an obscure Wyoming congressman who didn't have any national profile at all. But unlike the rest of Congress, who, was, who were all horrified with Reagan breaking the law so flagrantly, this Wyoming congressman filed a minority report that said, as far as he was concerned, it was all fine. He said, essentially, that a president can do anything he wants. On national security, no law can constrain a president. That was the, the one dissent filed to the congressional investigation. That was the minority report, the Wyoming congressman. Fast forward two decades to a December afternoon, 2005. You are on board Air Force Two with the Vice President of the United States. You're en route to the Middle East. The New York Times has just broken the news that the government has been secretly wiretapping Americans without a warrant. And while he is being questioned about that on board Air Force Two, Vice President Dick Cheney interjects this advice to the reporters questioning him. He says essentially, hey, listen, if you want to know why I think what we're doing is kosher, why I think that it isn't illegal for us to do this, even though it sure looks illegal. If you want to know my feelings on what a presidency can and cannot do, go back and look at that minority report that I authored on the Iran-Contra affair. That said all that needed to be said about the kind of unilateral, above-the-law power that a president ought to have. We are in an era of radically extended presidential power. It matters that Ronald Reagan was never impeached for illegally selling missiles to Iran and for giving Congress the one-finger salute when they passed a law saying you can't have the war that you want in Nicaragua and he just secretly did it anyway. But the missiles thing and the war thing were plainly illegal, which is why 14 senior administration officials, including Ronald Reagan's defense secretary and national security advisors, I mean, they all got indicted. But President Reagan himself got away with that illegal behavior. And that helped set political precedent. In the George W. Bush era, it was not just the wiretapping Americans without warrants. It was also things like defying the laws against torture on the president's say-so. There was the big nonpartisan review. It was years in the making that just came out a couple of weeks ago. The review of how our country treated prisoners after 9-11. It concluded that there never before in our country had been the kind of considered and detailed discussions that occurred after 9-11 directly involving a president and his top advisors on the wisdom, propriety, and legality of inflicting pain and torment on some detainees in our custody. We are in a radically expanded era of executive power. We are in an era of radically expanded executive power that was expanded on purpose. And even though President Obama has washed himself clean of things like the torture prerogative, which was claimed by the last president, 
The fact that no one was ever prosecuted for torturing anyone means that it is essentially just a policy preference that we do not torture now. The political and legal precedent has been established that if you do torture people, even if the advice goes all the way to the President of the United States, the United States will not mind. We just elect to not do it anymore. So a future president might feel differently. It will be his or her prerogative to choose that or not, as they see fit. Presidential power is like... It's, we like to think of it as a rubber band that could expand and contract depending on our politics, but it's more like an aged, aged rubber band. It's old. It stretches, but it does not always stretch back. Congress authorized the president after 9-11 to use military force anywhere in the world as he saw fit to retaliate against the people who attacked us on 9-11. Not only is it 12 years later now, and that is still in effect, but there's noise now in Washington that they want to make that authorization permanent. So the U.S. president, whoever it is, will have permanent authority forever to use military force however he or she sees fit anywhere in the world forever, thanks to 9-11, no matter how many decades we get into the future. We are living in an era of radically expanded executive power. And yet, there's President Obama today, exasperated talking about how his hands are tied. He can do nothing. It is a national security matter on which he just has no authority to fix the problem. Because even as the Cheney doctrine of executive power lives on, and the Congress wants to foist on the presidency the constitutionally inconceivable power to wage war forever on his own say-so without checking with anybody. Despite all that, on this one thing, on the issue of an offshore prison the United States opened up under the last president in communist Cuba, on this one thing the Congress has decided to get up on its hind legs and tell the president, no, no, Mr. President, you don't get to decide, we do. At his press conference, I saw again what I like about President Obama. He knows what's right and wrong, and he's not afraid to talk about it. But sometimes, he only talks about it. That's been the paradox of his policy on Guantanamo all along. During his first campaign for president, he pledged to close Guantanamo down as soon as he took office. As commander-in-chief, he had the power to do so. But he dragged his feet, and then Congress tied his hands, and so there are still 166 men down in Guantanamo. Some have been there for more than a decade without trial. Obama recognizes how bad this is. As he said at the press conference, the idea we would still maintain forever, a group of individuals who have not been tried, that's contrary to who we are and to our interests, and it needs to stop. He said he'd do all that he can administratively to shut it down, and that he'd also work with Congress to try to come up with a solution. The problem is, at this point, I'm not sure he can solve the problem administratively, and Republicans in Congress are in no mood to untie his hands. So Obama's good words may be slim solace to the 166 men still languishing down in Guantanamo. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
Hey there, listeners. So I, I really don't have many good things to say about companies. You've probably noticed. Uh, so the fact that you're hearing me say this means that a company's come along and, and done something really different to get me to want to do an advertisement for them. And so, you know, if you're like me, you've probably chosen your cell phone service provider based on the, the company with the products and services that you hated the least. That seems pretty standard these days. But, you know, luckily, this, this company came along, Ting, like the sound of a bell, Ting. They came along and they basically took note of what everyone hates about cell phone companies. And then they did the exact opposite of all of that. So first of all, they don't have contracts. So if you check them out, you know, you can try them. If you don't like them, you're not stuck like you would be with, with another company. Secondly, they don't make you pay for anything you don't use. Normally people, you know, they, they set you up with a plan with a certain number of minutes or texts or, or data for your phone. And, and then you end up having to stay under a certain amount or you get hit with overage charges. But with Ting, there's no overage. You just pay for what you use. So you never end up paying for anything you don't use and you never get hit with with overage charges. So it's a pretty good deal. I like the philosophy behind it, especially. I love not paying for things that I'm not using, obviously. And so as a listener of the show, you actually get a $25 discount on either service or a device if you want to buy a phone through their company uh, if you go to the specific URL, best.ting.com. And so they actually have a savings calculator on there. So you check it out. You know, if you like what you see, then you can even put in your information of what you're paying now, and they'll tell you whether or not you're going to save money before you even have to sign up. So like I say, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I like the philosophy behind it. And, you know, and then as a bonus, you get 25 bucks if you want to try them out uh, through best.ting.com. You remember when President Obama said, I will close Guantanamo Bay? Yeah, that was about five years ago. Uh, I don't know if you know this, it's still open. So now he was asked about it at his press conference today, and uh, he came out fired and saying, hey, man, it's, it's really got to go. I continue to believe that we've got to close Guantanamo. Uh, I think, well, uh, you know, I think it is critical for us to understand that Guantanamo is not necessary to keep America safe. It is expensive. It is inefficient. It uh, hurts us in terms of our international standing. It lessens cooperation with our allies on counterterrorism efforts. It is a recruitment tool for extremists. It needs to be closed. And that's why I haven't closed it in five years. Now, look, I know the Republicans are fighting him tooth and nail on that. But do you know that there's uh, 160, 60 tannies there, 86 of which we have said are free to go, except they can't go because we can't find any countries that will take them, and we don't want to release them in the United States. Now, look, if the president wanted to, it is within his executive power to say, these guys are cleared for release. They are not guilty. I'm going to let them go. And he can strike a deal with, for example, Yemen. But there's political pressure here to say, don't send them back to Yemen because we're worried that al-Qaeda is strong in Yemen. I know, but they're cleared for release. They're not guilty. So what do you want me to do? Hold people we know are not guilty forever? That makes no sense. If you're a strong president, here's what you say. I've got a supermax prison for the ones, for the 80 that I'm worried about that are not cleared for release. I've got a supermax prison in Colorado. That's where I'm sending them. Now, I hope you're not going to denigrate American security and American guards and personnel at that prison by saying that we can't handle by a, a bunch of two-bit terrorists here, okay? We already have terrorists there. 
We have uh, Sheikh Rahman, who was the original 1993 World Trade Center bombing. He's in Colorado. We've got Terry Nichols, who was part of the Oklahoma City bombing. He's in Colorado. We got the Unabomber. He's in Colorado. We've got all those terrorists. We can handle them fine. And the other 86, here are your choices. I could release them to Yemen, or I could release them in Kansas. Where would you like it? Oh, no, but no, but they would cry. Yeah, they would cry. And they'd say, oh, well, it's dangerous, etc. Okay, well, your choice, your choice. I'm sending them to Yemen unless you tell me to send them to Kansas. And if you tell me to send them to Kansas, you did that. I was going to bring them to Yemen. See, that's how you play poker. But, of course, President Obama doesn't play poker that way. He does it by saying, I'll tell you what, I've got a great hand, and that's why we should close Gitmo, and I fold. So here's more of him telling us why he shouldn't fold as he folds. I don't want these individuals to die. Uh, obviously, the Pentagon uh, is, is trying to manage the situation as best as they can. Uh, but I think all of us should reflect on why exactly are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Exactly. Now, 100 of the 166 are on a hunger strike. 21 are already being force-fed, and there are now worries that several of them might die. So why are we doing this? Do you know that 54 of them, our current plan for them is to never try them. They're not set for release. They're not among the people we're going to bring to justice, in, such as it is. And it's through military tribunals. We should bring them to civilian courts. Whatever your disagreements on that are, you can't argue with the 54. I mean, who are we? Aren't we America that stands for justice and rule of law? For 54 of them, whether they're in Gitmo or they're in Colorado, it doesn't matter. We say, we don't have enough evidence to try you, and we don't want to release you, so we're never going to give you a trial. That's insanity. That's the most un-American thing I've ever heard. Now, President Obama continues to talk about that. I mean, the notion that we're going to continue to keep over 100 individuals in a no-man's land, in perpetuity, um, even at a time when we've wound down the war in Iraq, we're winding down the war in Afghanistan, we're having success uh, defeating al-Qaeda Corps, we've kept the pressure up on uh, all these uh, uh, transnational uh, terrorist networks. When we've transferred uh, detention authority in Afghanistan, the idea that we would still maintain forever uh, a group of individuals who have not been tried, that is contrary to who we are, it is contrary to our interests, and it needs to stop. Oh, it needs to stop. If only there were a president who could make that happen then why don't you stop it? Oh, but the Republicans are fighting me. Okay, I got a crazy idea. Fight back. But he, you know what? In the next clip, he basically admits why he's not fighting back. It's a hard case to make because, you know, I think for a lot of Americans, the notion is out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and it's easy to demagogue the issue. That's what happened the first time this came up. So, since it's a hard case to make to the Americans and the other side's demagoguing, I'm Obama. You know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fold. I'm going to do the wrong thing. And by the way, again, if they were in Gitmo or they're here in the United States, it doesn't really matter because President Obama is saying, I don't know where to release those 86 who should be released. And the 54, I'm going to indefinitely detain anyway.
no matter where they are. I wish President Obama from time to time would actually listen to what President Obama is saying and act on it. But he doesn't have the courage of his principles and he doesn't have the stomach for the fight. So those people will stay in Guantanamo probably for the rest of Barack Obama's term. If a Republican wins, probably indefinitely. If a Democrat wins, probably indefinitely. Isn't that crazy? Gee, I wonder why the U.S. has lost respect all throughout the world. to talk about what I what I believe is one of the most underreported stories happening right now which is the Guantanamo hunger strikes. Yeah. So the Miami Herald, big shout out to them. They've been doing fantastic coverage of the Guantanamo hunger strikes and they actually have a chart that they update every day and you can see the evolution of the hunger strikes um you know over the past uh month or so. And as of Monday, April 29th, there were a hundred total hunger strikers. Twenty-one are being fed uh, with tubes, which remember certain human rights groups um, qualify that as a form of torture. And five have been hospitalized. And I mean, to me, this is a huge, huge story. This is, you know, on par with uh, the hunger strikes in Ireland. Yeah. You know? and, and just real quick before you keep going with the story, like. Just because I don't want anyone tuning out. Like, I got tweets from people who follow me, which means they've got to be somewhat liberal, right? Who are like, well, I don't care. These are Guantanamo guys, right? They're like terrorists. And people forget, because it's not talked about it, that what, like 80% of them right. have been cleared of any wrongdoing? Yeah, and the we have a chicken shit government that, you know, doesn't want to bring them into domestic prisons because they're terrorists. Even though, again, as Jamie said, the majority of them have been cleared of all charges. And don't want to send them back to their countries because they're like, well, now they're super pissed off at us, so they might attack the United States. So it's like, are you going to just keep these guys there, there till they die? Because you fucked up. Right. Like, not not because they did anything, but because you fucked up and you got uh, a little Arab lockup crazy and just started grabbing people that fucking had a beard. Yeah. But it's the definition of political cowardice. And it's it's not just Congress. It's not just the president. It's everybody. And everybody it's, has had a chance to fix this, and they just haven't done it. And the problem is, you know, when it comes to chicken shit politicians and a constituency that doesn't give a fuck, um, you know, this is not a popular thing to run on. You know what I mean? Because if the majority of people don't know that 80% have been cleared of wrongdoing, and you have a politician saying, you know, I, I elect me so I can help the people in Guantanamo, people are just going to say you have a pro-terrorist agenda, just like if you try to fight the war on drugs, which has done nothing and puts us in more danger uh, and primarily affects uh, young men of color. 
you know, you're seeing a soft on crime. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you point out, you know, our domestic prison thing too, because obviously Guantanamo has global implications, but hunger strikes that happen in domestic prisons are also a really underreported uh, phenomenon in this country. Yeah. And I shouldn't even say phenomenon because they happen pretty regularly. Any kind, you know, like protests and, and hunger strikes. The prison reform movement is a really under, I, I don't want to say underreported beat because there are journalists who do really amazing, extensive coverage of it. But on the national scale, we really don't talk about the horrible conditions in our prisons. Yeah. And I, I, I forget if Jeremy Scahill said it on our show or said it at one of the book events we went to, but he's really been making this point of talking about like your country isn't, you know, I don't want to fucking, I'm going to terribly paraphrase this, but you shouldn't judge your country by how it treats the, the most well-off citizens. The most privileged citizens. Yeah. It's I mean, how you treat the least advantaged, the most hated members of your society. Like that's what proves you're better. Right. You know, that, that's what proves you're fucking decent. Not how many so countries even, you can bomb and Not even, we're not even talking about the Guantanamo prisoners because most of them have been cleared of any charges, but even like actual terrorists, right? Somebody who actually blows up an airplane or, you know, attacks the World Trade Center or something. How you treat that person is actually how you measure how great your society is. Right. That doesn't mean like, you know, free him, go to the park and, you know, teach him how to play the ukulele. <laughs> Uh, I just pictured a terrorist hanging out with Zoe Deschanel and I got <laughs> so happy. Um, but it's like, well, what's the least we can, well, we give them a fucking trial. Yeah. Like, a public trial. Yeah. You don't torture them. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these are very basic. Like if you were going to enter into like a relationship with a new country or with like a person, those would be like the least like, are you, do you torture? Well, not no. only that, it's like for all of these right-wing hacks who are like national security, there's nothing that's going to make your country safer than setting an example like that. Because if we start to torture people, then what's stopping other countries from if they capture our soldiers torturing them? Yeah, and they're going to be pretty pissed off, too. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. This week at a press conference, President Obama restated his desire to close the prison at Guantanamo. This has been a difficult issue for Obama because Republicans naturally suspect that detainees are all personal friends of his. <laughs> Conservatives naturally blame the president for what happened in Boston and for treating the suspect as if he were an American citizen, just because he is one. <laughs> Many of the Guantanamo detainees have now been held for over 10 years without a trial. The reason there haven't been more trials is many of the prisoners didn't do anything, therefore they can't be found not guilty. Of course, Obama doesn't want to let anybody go who might someday attack us. He just wants to put them in prisons in the United States. Unfortunately, that's impossible because those prisons are for people who broke the law. 
<laughs> but now more than 100 detainees desperate for some resolution are on a hunger strike. Prison guards responded to this by having doctors force-feed the hunger strikers through tubes inserted in their noses, which is not as pleasant as it sounds. <laughs> the American Medical Association has complained that doctors should not ethically be force-feeding prisoners who refuse to eat. But the government's position is we cannot let the detainees kill themselves until we get enough evidence to execute them. <laughs> <laughs> Obama has said many times that Guantanamo hurts our image around the world. But so does telling George W. Bush you think he's a great guy. Yeah, I want to go through Guantanamo by the numbers. I think this is a, a, a really, really interesting. This is put out by the ACLU. And it's, uh, I mean, it is literally called Guantanamo by the numbers. And, and what it is, is, well, self-explanatory. Number of men imprisoned at Guantanamo by the Department of Defense since that prison opened on January 11, 2002, is 779. As of January of this year, there's still 166 people there from 23 countries. The number, the total number of those 166 people who are actually serving sentences because they had a trial, even though it was a military commission trial, three. Three people at Guantanamo because they were convicted of something. The number of people who are still imprisoned at Guantanamo after being cleared for release by the government back in 2009, this is 2013, is 86. 46 is the number of prisoners the U.S. has said it lacks evidence to prosecute, but says are too dangerous to release. If you have no evidence to prosecute them, how do you know they're too dangerous to release? Oh, we just know. And so the conservatives say, well, you know, at least they're down there where it's cheap. You don't want to stick them in the prisons here. That costs a fortune, right? Well, here's what it costs per year to imprison the 86 men who have been cleared for release. $69 million a year. If you think these guys are dangerous, give them each... $600,000 a year and let them resettle in, you know, get them a nice apartment in Bangkok or something. You know, it's like, you know, put them in some place that's a tourist paradise and they'll just, you know, or a big Disney World, you know, buy get them a get them a condo in Disney outside of Disney World. By the way, if those 86 men who have been cleared for release had been moved into federal prisons, Instead of us paying $69 million a year to take care of them, it would have cost $3 million a year. Guantanamo is really expensive. The percentage of people who have been 
of who are prisoners at Guantanamo who were never al-Qaeda fighters, according to U.S. government data? 92%. 92% of these people were never actually fighting against us. The Bush administration released 532 of them. The Obama administration has released 72 of them. The youngest prisoner at Guantanamo was 13 years old. The oldest prisoner at Guantanamo was 98 years old. The number of children that we have imprisoned in Guantanamo, this is why this is a stain on this country. The number of children that we have imprisoned at Guantanamo is 21. The number of FBI agents who have each independently reported that they have seen abusive treatment of Guantanamo prisoners. The number of FBI agents who have gone out of their way to say, I have seen abusive treatment of prisoners at Guantanamo, more than 200. The number of prisoners who have been tortured in secret CIA prisons overseas before they came to Guantanamo, at least 26 of them. Nine of them. Keep in mind, only three of the people in Guantanamo have ever been tried and convicted. Nine have committed suicide. Or nine have died in custody. Seven of suicide, one from a heart attack, and one from cancer. The youngest to have died by suicide, a fellow by the name of Yasser Talal al-Zaharani, who was captured at the age of 16 and committed suicide at the age of 21. Now, where did these people who are in Guantanamo come from? Only 5% of them were captured by American troops. Eighty-six percent of them are there because somebody responded to a bounty offer. This is a quote from the bounty offer. To Pakistani and Afghan villagers to turn someone in. We will provide you with millions of dollars, enough money to take care of your family, your village, your tribe for the rest of your life. So what do they do? They, they turn in the guy who's the village crank, the, the, the guy who, who uh, you know, nobody likes, the guy who was, you know, sleeping with your sister-in-law. I mean, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, they, oh, it's Ralph. He's the guy. Get him. This is incredible. The number of Guantanamo prisoners that have been transferred for prosecution to federal court, one. The number of military prosecutors who have said, we would like to be reassigned, or I am quitting this job because these military con commissions are unjust. That word, unjust. Seven. Seven military prosecutors have said, get me out of here. The prosecutors. Because this is the wrong thing to do. Just since 2011, we spent $12 million on these military commissions. We have seven 
convictions by these military con uh, commissions, five of them through plea deals, one in a contested trial, one defendant chose not to participate in his own trial, four of those convicted have already been transferred home, and three have been released. Barack Obama, President Obama was right. You know, Guantanamo is a stain on America. It is a major stain on America. What are we going to do about that? Don't know. We do need to do something about it, though. Well, actually, don't know. I, we need to close Guantanamo. It's really simple. We need to send people back to the countries that will take them. We need to, uh, those people that we have any basis to believe are cr criminals, try them in a criminal court. And frankly, I think we need to be paying reparations to the people who are just there because somebody wanted a bounty. It's crazy that we were offering bounties in the first place. You go to a poor country and say, give me, I'll give you a million? from LeeCamp.net. We hear about all the detainees at Guantanamo Bay in a military prison, and to be honest, most of us don't know what the f*** goes on down there. I mean, it's Cuba, it's probably nice weather, they probably sit out by the pool with a big old Cuban cigar dipping their toes in the water, right? But we do know it's not very pleasant there because nearly two-thirds of the 171 prisoners are on hunger strike right now, not eating anything since February. They're so miserable, they would rather die of starvation than stay there. I've only been in three situations in my entire life in which I'd rather die of hunger than be there. And I know what you're thinking, but actually only two of them were Nicolas Cage movies. But even if it is bad there, it's tough to feel bad for those detainees, after all. They're the epitome of evil, right? The perfect example of villainous. They put the turd back in dastardly, right? But in fact, almost all of the detainees have not even had charges against them. And 89 of them have been cleared for release by the military and the courts. The courts. Remember those things? Funny room, guy in a black dress thinks he's better than everyone. They were big in the 80s. Anyway, the courts have said, these men have done nothing wrong. We demand you set them Free. And then Congress has responded, what's that? Make them some tea? Yes, it's high time they had some tea. And basically that's been going on for the past five years. No wonder these innocent imprisoned men have decided to starve themselves to death. They're sick of all the tea. I said in a previous video that we have not just ceded the moral high ground, we've teabagged it. And now I realize that was more accurate than even I knew at the time.
Think about how we react when another country does this. We all remember when Russia sentenced the members of the band Pussy Riot to two years in a prison camp for singing three sentences of a song in a church. The entire world was furious and they're still in prison right now. But at least the Russian courts had the nerve to pretend there was some kind of ridiculous singing charges against the riotous pussy. At least they had that much respect for the long, prestigious history of kangaroo courts. But in the case of Guantanamo, even the courts can't find anything to charge these men with. 89, 89 men have been cleared for release and yet are not being released. Plus, you remember that swimming pool I told you about? I heard it's overchlorinated. It, it stings the eyes. Stings the eyes. I don't like the place I'm in, headspace within the hardwood and the sea. Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady. My name is Janine Garofalo. This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. Even sometimes this guy. This is Greg Palace, and I've got my zipper caught in Moments of Clarity. Free at Lee Camp. .net, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Android app. Plus, there's a Moment of Clarity book for those of you who thought, I love Moment of Clarity, but I hate how I can't lick it. Well, now you can. The Moment of Clarity book and ebook, get it at LeeCamp.net or on most e-reader platforms. And remember, keep fighting and stay angry. I know the same does not apply to you So I guess it all curl up and die too now, you all probably have heard that uh, in Guantanamo we've got a hunger strikers. In fact, we've got a, over 100 hunger strikers going on there. There's only 166 detainees, so obviously a majority of them are striking. Even President Obama's frustrated. Recently at a press conference, he said this. Individuals to die. Uh, obviously, the Pentagon uh, is, is trying to manage the situation as best as they can. Uh, but I think all of us should reflect on why exactly are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Well, it's a great question. I think you should ask yourself. You know, he said there in the beginning, I don't want him to die. Well, okay, then how about you use some of your executive power to change things? I, oh, but then there would be a political cost. Oh, so you meant I don't want him to die unless it's slightly politically inconvenient for me. So in reality, part of the reason that the hunger strikes began according to the detainees, is that when they heard the State of the Union for President Obama uh, last time around, they were so dispirited that he never even mentioned them. They were under the false hope, well, welcome to America, by the way, that President Obama would do anything, and because he had said he was going to close Guantanamo, and they thought he didn't do anything in his first term, maybe after he wins re-election, then he would close Guantanamo. When he said nothing, they're like, all right, well, I guess we have no hope, so let's go on a hunger strike. That was among different reasons why they started the strike. So now President Obama says, oh, but the Republicans, they demagogue on this issue. Well, then you fight back. But of course, President Obama never does that, right? In fact, since Obama has done anything about Guantanamo, public opinion on it has shifted against his original position. So now back in 2008, 51% of Americans wanted Guantanamo closed. Well, Obama gave in to the Republicans and didn't close it. 
So then it became Obama's official position that they weren't going to close it in the first term. So in 2010, 39% of Americans thought it should be closed. So it's slipping. And what happened in 2012? Well, now it's down to 24% of Americans think it should be closed. Why? This is called the Obama effect. The Republicans didn't want to close it in the first place. And when Obama says, well, I can't close it now, a lot of the Democrats then go, Obama's right, he's our president, everybody bow down to Obama. Then, okay, no, 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 Guantanamo can't be closed, it can't be closed. So they go away, and a lot of independents think, well, if the Republicans agree and the Democrats agree, then I guess it shouldn't be closed. So 51%, if he had argued for it, could have turned into 61 or 71%. When he doesn't argue for it, he goes for a position of weakness, and he agrees with the Republicans, turns into 24%. Now, it's absolutely outrageous what we're doing in Guantanamo, but we now have bipartisan agreement that apparently George W. Bush and Dick Cheney were right. That we should have a lawless land where we treat people like authoritarian governments would, like dictators would. Now, what do I mean by that? Do you know that out of the 166 detainees, 86 of them are cleared for release? They should be free to go. They are not guilty. And we say, we don't give a damn. Well, because of politics, it's inconvenient to release you. So even though you are not guilty and you have been there for so long, we're not going to release you. Who does that? Does a democracy do that? Does a decent government, a humane government do that? No. Dictatorships do that. Authoritarian governments do that. Look, you see the other number? 47 have been designated for indefinite detention. Now, even if you close down Guantanamo Bay, Obama says, even if I move them to the Supermax in Colorado, for example, I'm those 47, I'm never going to try them, I'm not going to give them a trial, and I'm not going to release them. They will be our permanent prisoners, and we will never bring them to justice. Who does that? Is that the America you signed up for? Is that the America you believe in? Is that the America you were taught? That is that what it means to be an American now? That we take people and we say, we don't give a damn if we have evidence against you or we don't. We're not going to try you. We're never going to bring you to court. We're just going to indefinitely detain you, perhaps for the rest of your life. Now, if they do it to those guys, you think they can't do it to you? Oh, no, but they're Muslim. Ah, they're from countries I don't know. Yeah, until they're from countries you do know, like the United States. Jose Padilla was a U.S. citizen. What did they do? They indefinitely detained him. After the Supreme Court was going to rule and say that you can't do that, then they finally gave him a trial, and it turns out they were lying about 90% of what they said about him. He was not going to do dirty bombings of Chicago. They had made that up entirely. So what do we know about the 47 people that, uh, that they're holding, that they're not going to try? What did they make up about them? We'll never know, because they'll never have a trial. It's outrageous. And President Obama goes along with it either out of cowardice or because he agrees. He's a conservative and he thinks, yeah, of course. I don't care about rule of law. I don't care what it means to be an American. That's inconvenient for me to either release the guys who I know are not guilty or try the guys I'm not sure about. All right. Uh, part of the problem in Guantanamo recently is because we had a new colonel come in, John Bogdan, and he had a tough guy attitude. Oh, he was going to show these guys. He says, I will bring this camp to how it was in the old times. Great. Maybe we'll start torture again. Uh, terrific. I'm so glad you've cleaned things up. I've got kids at home, and I know how to deal with kids. These are not kids. And, hey, tough guy, how's it going so far? So you pushed them and you pushed them, 
and now we've got a hundred of them on a hunger strike. Some of them might die. We're force feeding dozens of them. Well, congratulations, you're so tough. And you know what they do when they get new recruits for the United States Army or, or armed forces to go guard these prisoners in Guantanamo? First, they make them watch 9-11 tape. Okay? All right, now you say, hey, listen, some of these guys, like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, did do 9-11. Uh, it seems a little propagandish, but okay, that happened. And these are the guys protecting us against these terrorists. Okay, fine. You're fine with that, right? And then they tell them, you're not allowed to go to any site like WikiLeaks and find out what's actually happening. And they never tell them that 86 of them have been cleared for release. They tell them, all the new recruits, like people as young as 18 years old, coming to guard these prisons, they tell them, these are the worst of the worst. They're all guilty. They're all terrorists. When they know that's not true. Now, how do you think the guards are going to react when they're told that? And then they get a new colonel in charge who says, Oh, we're going to teach these guys how it is. They even have a sign up there that says, in Cam 6, We have the keys at the end of the day. They're on the other side of the cell. Ha ha! But look, we already know that, man. How much are you going to degrade these people? You want to do terrible things to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed? Let, let's try the guy... And let's bring him to justice. You want to execute him, I'm right there with you. I'm against the death penalty. I might make an exception for Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. But when it's the guys who aren't even guilty, and you know they're not guilty. Oh, we have the keys. We're going to crush you. I know how to treat you. Now, Mohammed al Zarnuki is a Yemeni citizen. He's one of the guys on the hunger strike. He says, I can't find the words to describe the suffering I'm going through. Another detainee from Morocco, Yunus Chakuri, says, Really? Now it's just pain everywhere. I don't want to die in Guantanamo. And even the American Medical Association says, force feeding, which is what we're doing now in order to keep them alive, violates core ethical values of the medical profession. Well, Guantanamo violates core ethical values in all the different fields. It is now, for those 86 who are cleared for release, nothing but a gulag. And for those 47 we're never going to get a trial. It's nothing but a gulag. That's what it is. And I believe that every person from the armed forces that are now assigned to Guantanamo should say, I cannot follow illegal orders. I object. I will not serve in that gulag. Now, I'm not holding my breath for them doing that, especially because they get brainwashed and they don't even know the reality when they get sent down there. But we've got to start taking a stand. Because this isn't even about those detainees. It's about who we are. Are you comfortable running a gulag like this, a lawless land, and call, then calling it America? That's not the America I know and love. California calling again with another matter of definition. I've been driven a little nuts recently by people complaining about the use of the term weapons of mass destruction with regards to the bombing of the Boston Marathon. This occurred mostly on your second show on the tragedy. The people complaining that this is only a bomb, not a chemical, biological, or nuclear weapon 
have a problem in that, as with so many words and terms, WMD has different meanings in different contexts. The complainers are thinking of the use of WMD in international relations and warfare. This is the definition used in U.S. Code Title 50, War and National Defense. However, the FBI does not deal with warfare. It uses the definition in U.S. Code Title 18, Crimes and Criminal Procedure. Basically, we're talking about a question of scale. In criminal matters, anything which can cause massive loss of life or property damage in one fell swoop is a WMD. However, in war, where bombs and explosives are commonplace, the term is restricted to those devices that can spread toxic material through the air over relatively long distances. We have to pay attention to context, people. Thanks for hearing me out. Love the show. Bye. Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver, Washington. I just wanted to talk about Dan Carlin's point of legislation passed in the heat of the moment and how it can be overbroad and poorly written and then used far beyond what we expected. When we look at uh, the widespread surveillance and data gathering that's done on various organizations in the United States, it becomes apparent that it's not just people who are planning violence or planning overthrow or protesting to the right or to the left. These additional powers that we keep giving our government basically cause them to surveil and harass and infiltrate essentially anybody with an opinion. So any group that organizes with an opinion is likely, if they've showed up on the radar screen of society, to be surveilled and potentially they're going to try and gather up some dirt on you before you can do any damage to the establishment. So I agree with Dan Carlin that that these knee-jerk reactions are ridiculous and that's why the devil's in the detail when we do pass legislation on these things so we can't rush and we have to talk about it in mature and in a mature way and methodically go through that legislation to ensure that we're not giving our government power that it shouldn't have. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Jay. Jordan in Wisconsin again. I just wanted to add on to what the caller from Calgary said and um, or, or her story as well as what you said. And as I was listening to both her voicemail and, and um, your talk there at the end of the podcast, thinking back to a forum, I'm a college student, and about a year or two ago we had a forum on campus where uh, Muslim students talked about their experience both in America and in the different communities that they had lived or grown up in as well as on campus. And one of the things that came up was just their experience post 9-11, their treatment and, and their experience after that happened at, at kind of the zenith of the Islamophobia and the xenophobia that came um, after those attacks. And there was stories, certainly, like uh, the caller from Calgary that, that were upsetting. But one of the wonderful things is how many of the students had, had Stories of kindness, of community outreach, of things like um, letters, personal letters they received from classmates or teachers or that their family received from neighbors, signs in windows and yards, uh, baked goods, rallies, things like that of people around them that, that stood up for them and, and that made them feel welcome in the midst of a lot of backlash and, and xenophobia. 
and just listening to the end of the last episode made me kind of want to um, share that and just encourage people to find ways to do that in their own communities after this last attack uh, as, as you've outlined in the episodes we're seeing xenophobia and, and racism and, and you know ugliness uh, once again and I just want to encourage people who, who care about our Muslim neighbors, our Muslim classmates, our fellow community members, and just be a voice of welcome, welcoming, a, a voice of inclusiveness, a voice of support and acceptance, and just find little ways to do that. Write, write a letter, write an email, put a sign up, you know. It doesn't have to be grand, it doesn't have to be gigantic in scope. It can just be something little. Um, it was clear during this forum as these students gave these stories how much it had meant to them and their families. And I would just like to see a similar outpouring for those in our community that we have the power to reach out to, whether it's our physical communities or our online communities. I would just encourage everybody to find ways to be, again, a voice of, of welcoming and inclusiveness and uh, support in the midst of what we once again see is, is a, a rise in ugliness and Islamophobia against our neighbors and classmates and coworkers and friends. So that's, uh, I guess you could call that an activist call to action of sorts. And that's just my two cents on that. Once again, thanks for listening. Jay, love the show. And uh, have a great day. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So I, I have to say that Jank from the Young Turks sort of stole my thunder today. I, I was completely planning on talking about sort of the rhetoric behind you know the arguments of the Guantanamo detainees and whether they should be brought to America and so on, and, and he sort of slipped in there in today's show ahead of me talking about how Obama needs to be strong and say that if you if you don't want to bring detainees to American soil then you're denigrating the work of the you know the prison officials and so on and and that's that's essentially what I was going to say but I'll, I'll go a little bit further because I, I've been saying this for a couple of weeks ever since the the hunger strike really brought this back to the public consciousness brought you know Obama got back involved in the situation and you know it, it's this sort of situation where you could perform this amazing sort of political jujitsu on the issue because of, of all of the issues of everything that politicians have said over the last several years, the, the thing about Guantanamo has been one of the most sort of sickening, weaselly displays from politicians that I've seen in a really long time. And, and essentially, you know, mostly Republicans, but a few Democrats too, got up and basically said like, no, we're too afraid. America isn't good enough to handle these de detainees, we have to do it in Cuba illegally because you know we're not up to the task. And they just like cried about it like children. It was it was ridiculous. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe they were actually making that argument. I mean, the primarily the GOP, primarily the party of America is the greatest thing to ever grace God's earth. That they were the ones making that argument just sort of blew my mind. But 
there was such an opportunity to do this political jujitsu and turn their weaselly sniveling argument on its head say oh you don't want detainees in your state bring them to mine i want them in my state bring them here because we know how to handle prisoners we know that they'll be safe here and you know while we're at it Guantanamo is a disgrace and makes us the laughing stock of the world. So let's get rid of that and do it the right way, the American way. Because, you know, when the Republicans said what they said, people went along with it. They said, we're afraid and you should be afraid too. And people said, oh, he's got a point. I am afraid. Thanks for informing me that I should be afraid. Thanks, GOP, for, you know, playing your absolute standard playbook of scaring the shit out of the American people so that they'll vote for you. But you think the, the reverse wouldn't work? You think someone comes on the scene and says the exact opposite inspires people? Our state is going to be the one responsible for holding these, these people because we trust ourselves more than anyone else. You think that people wouldn't go along with that? And the sycophantic media wouldn't go along with that? They would, they would hear someone saying that? And fall all over themselves playing that on a loop so that people could see like, oh my, look how much he loves America saying how much he wants, you know, these prisoners in his state because of how proud he is of America and America's ability to put people in prison. Because if there's anything we know how to do, it's put people in prison. And I'll admit it's easier to scare people than it is to inspire them, but it's not impossible. And that's absolutely the message I would be actually proud to be a part of. I mean, I, I, I can't, I have to believe that they were embarrassed to go out and say, we're too afraid of these terrorists. They need to stay where they are. Uh, and you know, of course, then you move on to the other issue. Of course, a lot of them need to be set free. I get that that's a stickier issue. It, it's a harder sell to say, you know, some of them are innocent and they need to be set free and given reparations just like any prisoner falsely imprisoned who gets out and sues the government and ends up with millions of dollars in his pocket, uh, you know, for time served. It's a stickier issue. It's a harder case to make. I mean, it still needs to be made. But the fact that they're still in Cuba is ridiculous. But to a broader point, you know, not not all issues, but many issues can be seen through two different lenses just like this, just as demonstrated in these two wildly different talking points that are still very pro-America, you know, keep people safe sort of talking points. And it, it, it's, it's worth keeping in mind that that can be used in all sorts of ways. And so I, I really encourage everyone to, to keep an ear out for when issues can be fought through this sort of redirection of energy rather than just, you know, two immovable forces, uh, you know, butting heads against each other. Because sometimes it's easier to reroute a river than to make it flow upstream. So if you, if you find yourself with an issue like this and, you know, instead of just absolutely rebutting it, saying everything you're saying is wrong, if you can redirect and actually harness that energy you know, stoke passion for, you know, people's pride in America and then redirect it to actually get us to do good things instead of bad things, then that's going to be much, much more effective, enormously valuable to do that in situations where it's possible instead of just constantly butting heads. So something to keep an eye out for.
That's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you're not already subscribed to the show to hear every episode, there are lots of ways to do it. Everything from iTunes or the standard RSS feed to a variety of great apps for smartphones. I think that's the easiest way to do it. People are doing now. Uh, people love Stitcher and there's even a best of the left app made specifically for the show built for iPhone and Android. And then thanks especially to those who support the show either by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by Join up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought black and white Bought a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to be A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor